All right. Hey, so good to see all of you and um, grateful for babies and, um, you know, for Sergio and, um, yeah, Pastor's Appreciation Month. I started that uh, several years back. You could write that on Wikipedia. Um, no, uh, but uh, just so glad to be here uh, with you all and I hope you are doing well. Um, you know, we're in this passage of scripture here. Uh, where it talks about, um, and I titled it, Jesus and his two daughters, right? Obviously, he didn't have daughters himself, but it's talking here um, about the healing of these two. Um, one is Jairus' daughter that we read a little bit about, uh, and then secondly also is the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, the Bible tells us, and suffering in this way. Um, we've probably all been there. Um, you have probably all experienced it where you have uh, those of you who have had kids um, or family or even loved ones uh, parents or friends you've gone to the hospital and rushed over there um, in a desperate situation and we've all been there if you've had kids and especially when they're little you've rushed over to go and see uh, what was going on and what their problems were and uh, just a panic the fear and the stress that comes over that. We know what that's like. And this story is all about that. Um, and it talks about um, this man named Jairus, right? And I was, this week I was preparing this, you know, and um, there's been a bad flu going around and my wife has been sick, my youngest was sick. And it was kind of, I was preparing this and they were going through all of that. And it kind of helped me to understand and kind of think, boy, how hard it was for him. And some of you have been there, but how hard it was for him. Um, and today what we want to do is look at the story in chapter 5 um, and then walk away with a few lessons from this, right? Verse 22, um, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be, she may, uh, may be made well and live. And then he went with him. So this is kind of a, a good story, we would say. Boy, she, he asked, Jesus goes. Um, you know, he's in a very difficult situation. It's kind of his last resort. Um, it tells us here that she was at the point of death, right? Uh, Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptics. They have similar stories. John has some other ones that are unique, so those three are called the synoptics. Matthew has the same story, but it tells us she just died. So is this a contradiction? Is this a discrepancy? Is there a mistake? No. Um, she's at the point, and you know, medicine wasn't like how it was now, um, but she's at the point she's not waking up, basically. She's not responding. Um, and so she's just like she's dead. And uh, they, um, you can imagine the panic, the desperation of the father as he goes over there. Um, you know, I remember uh, about 15 years ago, um, the church I was serving, we had on a Sunday afternoon, had probably one of, this was probably the most difficult thing I had to deal with in my ministry time. Um, I had someone call me um, Sunday around five o'clock and they had an accident and uh, the, they had a little daughter who was about four years old and she had gotten um, 
running behind her mom's minivan. She had gotten ran over by accident, right? And it was horrific. And uh, so we rushed over to the hospital. It was about 6 p.m. And um, it was extra difficult because she was about the same size as my daughter. I had just seen her at church in the morning and played with her and said hi. And, um, and uh, it just happened so suddenly. She had passed away there. And going into the room where she was, you know, seeing her little lifeless body. And I remember getting sick um, from that. And I had to officiate the funeral. And it was so difficult. And I remember doing that and literally getting sick for the whole week. I think the shock and just everything about it. But we know what that's like. We've experienced that. Um, and he comes in this, and so Jesus is going, and so this is kind of good. You know, he's proactive, he's a dad, he gets Jesus to go. But right in the middle, as they are on their way, and as the people are now going, a woman comes. And this is kind of this part in the middle of the story. Look at verse 25 in your Bibles, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, suffered much under many physicians, and has spent all she had. So she's going through all of this. She hears, hears about Jesus. Verse 28 says, if I touch his garments, I will be made well. Immediately the flow of blood dried up. Um, so touches, sneaks up from the back, touches Jesus' garment, is made well. Um, it's interesting, this technique in how Mark writes it, the, the scholars call it kind of the sandwich technique. One story is going, and right in the middle is sandwiched another story. And it seems like almost, a, is it an interruption? Um, why is it written in this way? But it's on purpose. Mark does this nine times throughout his gospel. And the story that is sandwiched often kind of expands on the whole thing that's going on. So an example of this, um, you see at the end of Mark, Jesus is on trial before his crucifixion. And right sandwiched in that is the story of Peter's denial of Jesus. So what does that tell us, the story? It's not just an interruption, but it's saying, boy, Jesus is going through a really hard time. He's being tried, and he's going to be going to the cross. But wait a minute, right in the middle, Peter is denying knowing Christ. And so what happens here in this story is that, yeah, he is going, he is on his way, but right sandwiched in the middle is this story that helps to illuminate the whole picture. It helps us to understand that, boy, it not only is it your daughter, Jairus, how you feel about your daughter, but this is how Jesus felt about this woman who eventually he calls her his daughter. And then they go back. He heals her, um, tells her, your faith has made you well, and then they head back, right? And they go back uh, to Jairus' house. And you look at verse 35. Here's the other bread of the sandwich, if we could say. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, uh, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? Uh, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, uh, only believe, right? Um, I've seen these fancy cups, you, uh, lids. You'll see that today at uh, lunch. I was like, I couldn't open it. It was so fancy. But anyways, um, I was like twisting it. Okay, so uh, it's interesting. Look at verse 35. While Jesus is speaking, while he is talking, the ruler's house kind of person, his assistant, comes running up and interrupts Jesus. The audacity of him. 
And he comes in, what does he say? He says, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? There's a bit of sarcasm here. There's a bit of saying, you're too late. Why trouble the teacher? He's not even Lord, he's teacher, he's the rabbi. Why trouble him? It's too late. It's saying, if you would have gone early, if you didn't stop, if you didn't delay, if you would have listened, maybe you could have helped, but it's too late. We don't need you anymore. But Jesus goes, and he gets there, and uh, it says that the child, let's see here, verse 38, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. Jesus saw commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? Child is not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him. Laughter. So the weepers are uh, paid to go and signal that there's someone's been dead. And so they'll cry out loud and they'll make a commotion, let the town know someone has just died. And then when Jesus says he's not, she's not dead, they laugh at him. And you know, we see the story in Abraham, if you've been reading through Abraham, you know, when Sarah and she's gonna give birth and God says, hey, you're gonna give birth and she laughs and the child's name ends up being laughter. You laugh at God, what he can do. Um, so what do we see here? We see this parallel. We see a contrast of the two. Jairus and the woman. First of all, Jairus is named. Right? He has a name. There aren't too many people in the Bible who's really named. The disciples were named and a few others, but others, they weren't named. But he was someone of prominence. He was named. People knew Jairus. The woman was anonymous. She didn't have a name. Secondly, Jairus was powerful. She was powerless. It's interesting, uh, in Luke's gospel, uh, if you go into the translation in the King James, it translates a word that the ESV skips, but it starts with behold. It means, hey, check this out, right? This is important. Behold, this Jairus, he bowed at the feet of Jesus. So it was a big deal that someone of such stature and name and power would Humble himself and get on the ground. Behold, check this out. This is newsworthy that he would do this. So he was powerful. Um, secondly, we see that he was uh, a worker in the temple. He was probably one of the Pharisees, some of the commentators say. The temple is where he belonged. The temple is where he spent most of his time. The temple probably had, if there were, you know, back, uh, if it was now, his own parking spot. It would have his own place. It would have his locker or whatever. He belonged there. The woman, because she was bleeding, was not allowed to go to the temple. She couldn't go into the temple. There were rules set up against this. She was considered defiled. She couldn't come during those times. So she couldn't go in for 12 years. He is surrounded by people. Throngs of people. When he comes, everyone knows who he is. They want to go tag along. She is isolated. Um, her bleeding, it wasn't just physical pain. It wasn't just the separation from the temple. And the temple represented the center of the city. The temple represented the center of their lives. And she couldn't go to the temple. And on top of that, socially, she had to make an announcement if she was going to go where there were a lot of people. Because coming in contact with her would make others defiled. They couldn't go into the temple. And so the rule was that when she would go into, the temple, into a public area, 
She would have to let people know, hey, I'm coming, hey, stay away. And can you imagine socially what she was going through? No one's coming over to visit her. No one's having her over for a birthday party or whatever. Um, and she is separated. He, on the other hand, there is a commotion at his house. And you see this whole contrast of the two. He is rich. She is poor. Um, he approaches Jesus face to face. Though he got on his hands and knees, but he still approached the front of Jesus and spoke to Jesus. The woman approached from the rear, didn't make eye contact, and just touched his garment. And so you see this whole contrast between the two. His daughter, at the end of the story, it's told she was 12 years old. My daughter, my younger one's 12 years old. I'm picturing that she's 12 years old. She's maybe uh, seventh grade age, sixth grade age. The woman suffered for 12 years. 12 years she's been bleeding. And so when Mark writes this beautiful story, he wants to get some things across. He wants us to learn these parallels and what's going on. Two lessons that I want to highlight for us today. Lesson one is very theological. Jesus is the only answer to our sin. Our greatest problem, man and woman's greatest problem is not relational, is not financial, is not health, is not any of those things. It's spiritual, ultimately. We are separated from God. The laws in Leviticus that talks about, so it's interesting, right? You, you cannot be in contact with someone who is bleeding. You cannot be in contact with a corpse. Then you would become uh, ceremonially unclean or defiled, and you can't go into the temple. And so if that is happening, and it's interesting because ironically, it is Jesus who now touches the woman who is bleeding. It's Jesus who touches the corpse. And by touching him, it's not that he gets defiled, they become clean. And so the lesson, the greatest need here is a spiritual need. Why, um, yeah, this illness is horrible. Um, losing someone you're close to is horrible. And, you know, Jesus heals them here. He doesn't always heal in this way. But they will eventually face death again. They will eventually grow, have diseases and get sick again. Um, and so the ultimate problem is a spiritual problem. Getting in contact with Jesus allowed them now to have access to the temple or where God dwelt. And you see, that's the story of us. That's the good news. So the law is not there to give us a hard time. The law is there to demonstrate the holiness of God. God is holy. You can't just approach God in your own way. Be very careful. Leviticus spells that out for us. And so all these people that cannot approach God are touched by Jesus. And now they can go straight to him. And this is the gospel. This is the good news. And so even in our prayers, as we pray for material things, earthly things, physical things, we ought to be praying first and foremost for our spiritual needs. Secondly is, I think there is a Jesus cares for each of us very deeply, like individual care. He cares for them very specially. Like a parent who has a lot of kids, they still know the needs. A good parent knows all the needs and what's going on. 
the, fa- the father's desperation for his daughter, the heart that Jairus had for his daughter, was the picture, was the illustration of how Jesus felt towards this woman. He uses this word very, I think, uh, deliberately. He calls her daughter after the healing. Your faith has made you well. And he calls her his daughter. And so all those who are hearing, we're talking about what daughter, what daughter? Jairus' daughter, isn't that the one? And, you know, isn't it such an uh, an emergency? Don't you have to go? But here Jesus is saying, do you get my heart? How Jairus felt towards his daughter is how I feel for her. And he cares for us. And I want us to take that lesson to heart that he cares for us deeply. Uh, The frustration here that Jairus' servant had. If you were to come early, but she's dead now. Sometimes his timing is not in line with my timing. It never is. Because I want things done. God, if you care, it should be done. You know, how should we do this? It's interesting, my younger one, Ashley, she's, she's at that cusp, she's in seventh grade, she's at the cusp of where I can't help her in homework anymore. Like, it's just too much concentration for me, so I can't do it. Um, and she's right there, she's almost there. And um, so she's always like, oh, I can't figure out this word problem. And you know, you know, the last question of the chapter, the most difficult one, and then, you know, she randomly, can you help me do this one? And I'm reading it, and then I got to read, go back chapter two, chapter, you know, and trying to figure this out. And I call her sister, why don't you help her? She goes, that's your job, you know, you're the parent. And, and so I say, well, you try it first. And, my, and Ashley always, always says, well, just do it. Like she says it loud enough that only I could hear it so that mom doesn't hear, you know, because I'm kind of a pushover with her. I was like, first of all, I can't, all right? Secondly, <laughs> I was like, first of all, I, I, I can't. I, I, intellectually, I just can't. Um, and it's going to take way too much energy on my part. So I just can't. But secondly, you know, it would be good for you. Just do it. Like, you got to learn to do this. I can't take your test for you. You know, and she does it. Um, and then I, and if that doesn't work, try it on Google, right? And, uh, um, and then I'll help you. The parent says, I'm not going to solve all your problems right away, but... Uh, um, you go through this. And so even if you are suffering, even if you are going through a hardship, and maybe you've been praying for something, and you've been asking God, God, make this happen. This is so important. Don't you care about me? We need to wait actively. We need to be patient on the Lord because he's working in me through this process, and his timing is perfect. When Jesus paused and the crowd was all rushing over to Jairus' house, and Jesus stopped for this woman. And everyone is like, come on, we got to go. Time is of the essence. We got to go. He pauses. He cares. And would you never forget how much God cares for you? The Bible says things like in Matthew 10, 29, you know, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. How much more, right, are you worth than the sparrow? You know, the sparrow... The only thing the sparrows were known for during those days was that they were just the cheapest of all birds. So if you were going to go make a, a, an offering and you were going to go buy, let's say, a bird, the sparrow was the cheapest. 
And so there was nothing special. And the only thing that we knew about the sparrow was it was just the cheapest. And the penny, it's not so much how much it cost, but the penny was the lowest, the smallest uh, uh, you know, money that you can have. And so what he's saying is, if he cares for that, how much more does he care for you? And I know, I know a lot of us, uh, we're waiting, you know, and we're kind of desperate. God, don't you care? But he does. And Jesus cares, and he says, you're my son, you're my daughter, I care for you. He calls her daughter. He goes and raises Jairus' daughter at the end of the story. He says this phrase, uh, it's, it's a common phrase, right? Talitha kumi. It means, little girl, get up. You know, it's kind of what a parent would say to wake up their child. Get up, sweetie, in a simple way. He cares. And so, what do we do? I want to encourage us. We trust wholeheartedly. I mean, radically trust him. A lot of you, you know, we, we, I know we, we've been in church, you know, 10 years. Some, some of you I've known from before, and you've been walking with God, and there's this problem. Don't let this section of your life, don't let this chapter of your life be a faith-wavering time. Be all in in your trust. Radically trust. And so I know some of you, man, business is tough and, you know, your future is uncertain and, boy, things aren't happening according to the way that you had planned and you're saying, what's going to happen? I want to encourage you to trust wholeheartedly. He is still in control and he cares for you. It tells us that, the, you know, the guy, the worker comes, cuts off Jesus, right? She's already dead, you know, if you would have come earlier... And cuts him off. And this is what he tells Jairus, these two words. Verse 36, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. The, those two commands are in the imperative. Um, if we were to bold it or underline, do not fear, only believe. It was emphatic. Um, not only that, it wasn't what's in the original language. It was in the present tense. It means to do it continually. So do not stop not fearing. Right? Continually do not fear. So in today, on this juncture of your life, as you did when you were 10 years younger, now do not fear and only believe. Keep believing. Continue believing. Continue to have faith in him. And so whatever life has thrown at you, and it's been out of your control, and you've been asking God to intervene, and you're starting to feel hopeless, and bad news keeps popping up, do not fear, only keep on believing. And so today, we believe. Today, we have faith. And so we now wait on the Lord with great expectation. We are not People who are easily disappointed. Our faith does not waver because of circumstances. Our faith is grounded in him. So I keep my eyes on him, and I will keep on believing. And I will stop fearing. Make that happen today. Late at night, if you're thinking thoughts, and you're scaring yourself into staying up all night, just say, I'm going to stop fearing. I'm going to trust God. He cares for me. 
He's all I need. What a wonderful story and a wonderful, caring uh, message he gives us in that verse. And I think that's for us today. All right? So we take this to heart and we are encouraged because he has the victory over all things. Amen. Man, let's pray. Um, dear God, what a lovely story this is. Um, God, we, I, I wish I was there. I wish I could have seen it happen. God, your tender handling of that woman. Your follow through with Jairus. Lord, all of that. God, we, we have all been there where the woman is just desperate and lonely. We've all been there where Jairus is when one of ours is hurting and we are seeking help. God, we've all been there and you are the answer ultimately. We couldn't approach you before. We couldn't come in our own merit. Jesus Christ, you became the door for us. So we go to you. I thank you and I pray for all here my sisters and brothers who might be going through some hardships, you know. You know what keeps them up. You know what makes them cry. And God, in the middle of that, God, would your presence just enter in and guide them and strengthen them and remind all of us, do not fear, only believe. Thank you, Jesus Christ. We pray in your name. Amen. We're going to have a time of offering and uh, let's give that at this time with a cheerful, obedient heart, and uh, Pastor John and the team's going to lead us in some prayers, all right?